Welcome to Bread and Poppies, where we discuss why drugs are good, capitalism is bad, and what to do about it. Hello, and welcome to Bread and Poppies. I'm Hilary Agro. I'm an anthropologist who studies drug use, drug policy, drug prohibition, and drug culture, and how all of those things interact with capitalism and racism and all the big, shitty parts of our society. Today is the Election Day edition of Bread and Poppies, because it's Election Day here in Canada, after a, a campaigning season that felt like an eternity, but relative to um, the American election season, which started before and will keep going for another whole year afterwards. Um, it was quite short. So we we don't know yet what's going to happen. Hopefully I'm going to have this out today. So if you're listening to this the day that I recorded it, then we don't know, but we can hope that the Conservatives don't get a majority and that, you know, at the very least, if the Liberals have to work with the NDP, that might be the most realistic, best thing that we can hope for today. But if you're listening to this afterwards, hello, people in the future, um, please send us vibes of, you know, hope, because oh, it's it's almost worse being in the past here when we don't know what's going to happen. Um, although I say that now, if the Conservatives win, then it's probably going to be a lot worse in the future. Um, anyways, uh, I'm not going to talk about the election too much because it's destroying my brain and I, I just don't want to think about it anymore. We're going to talk about drugs more than anything this week. Um, because there was actually a really interesting documentary that I went to see recently that I want to talk about that's about uh, using psychedelics to cure opioid use disorders. So we're going to talk about that. Um, yeah. So before we get into that, this week's drug of the week is... Mushrooms! So, psilocybin mushrooms are the most commonly used psychedelic mushroom, although there are different kinds. Um, and they're a psycho psychoactive substance, which, uh, at least here in Canada and among the people I do my research on, which are ravers and festival goers, they tend to be the most closely associated with use specifically in natural outdoor settings. So, outdoor festivals and cottage or camping trips are the main environment in which mushrooms are consumed by my study population. However, they also enjoy some popularity within rave settings, although it's funny because um, they're not unpopular at raves, but relative to things like MDMA and LSD, you know, they're, they're definitely not as popular. And a lot of people, if you tell them that you're on mushrooms at a rave, they'll go, oh my god, really? How can you handle that? It's a rave. It's, you know, it's not, it's generally just kind of instinctively considered to not be the most conducive environment to doing mushrooms. Mushrooms are a very emotional experience. They're um, very introspective. Uh, they're, they're also about, you know, connections with the people that you're around. But unlike other psychedelics such as LSD and 2CB, they tend to be the most unpredictable in terms of how they interact with your emotions. So it, being in an overwhelming, hyper-stimulating rave environment just doesn't tend to be what to be what a lot of people want uh, from a mushroom experience. Anyways, um, so mushrooms are often the the third or fourth drug after alcohol 
and cannabis, sometimes tobacco, that, that uh, a lot of people try. One quotation from my research is after interviewing, during interviewing um, uh, a woman named Eleanor, who is 18 years old and from Toronto, and she told me, quote, personally, I don't do chems anymore. The most I do nowadays is like shrooms, smoke a bit of weed, but mainly just shrooms. And I asked her, growing in the ground style stuff? And she said, yeah, you know, it's a lot less dirty feeling. Yeah, like there's that weird chem feeling you get, like the next day when you're like, ugh, my insides feel like they need to be scrubbed, end quote. So this is not an uncommon sort of understanding of mushrooms uh, and other, quote, natural drugs as compared to things like MDMA or LSD or other, um, you know, drugs that people consider to be more uh, chemically derived and, and more sort of impure and less natural um, cocaine is an interesting one because everyone considers that to be a, a chemical drug, but it's extracted from a plant, um, as most drugs are. But, um, yeah, so there's this, this sort of idea that, oh, mushrooms, because they just grow out of the ground, you know, they're natural, and because they're natural, they're, they're less harmful, or they just, you know, leave you feeling better. Um, this isn't really borne out by, by research, um, but you know, people's, people's understandings of drugs and, and what kind of drugs they're putting in their body and the, the conceptions that they have around the drug that they're putting in their body actually do have an effect on the way that they experience the drug. So if you're a person who only does shrooms and weed because that's, you know, because they're natural and you feel that natural drugs are, you know, they, they work with your body better and, and they leave you feeling better, then they, that's because they probably do. Um, it's, yeah, everyone has their own sort of conception of, about how these drugs are. But um, you do have to be careful uh, in, in talking about drugs in, in terms such as natural or unnatural chemical, because they're all chemicals in the end. They're all chemicals that interact with your body. And to really capitulate to this, this narrative about what's natural is good. I mean, it's not true. Arsenic is natural. You know, there's lots of things that are natural that are harmful. Um, but it also, it tends to, uh, as a lot of narratives around drugs do, it tends to lead into stigma um, against other forms of drug use, particularly the already stigmatized forms of drug use, such as, um, you know, opioids and um, in injection drugs, methamphetamine, cocaine, um, the ones that are tend, tend to be more associated with addiction and, and problematic use tend to be stigmatized, uh, you know, and, and part of that reason that they're stigmatized is because they're considered to be more unnatural, they're, they're further away from their original sources. Um, and, you know, it's important to remember that the, part of the reason that they are is because of well, the main reason that they are is because of prohibition. If we didn't prohibit the use of things like, um, you know, opium in its in its sort of most... See, I almost used the word natural. Um, in its, you know, the, in the, the form that the drug is most close to its, to its original, you know, the way that the, the poppy plant is grown... Um, if we let people have access to opium and, you know, people have access to, to coca, like coca leaves, and, um, you know, these more natural forms, oh, there it is again, well, you know, these original forms of the drugs, people are less likely to use the 
hyper-purified forms of the drug. So you see fentanyl because people don't have access to heroin, and you see heroin because people don't have access to opium. Um, And sometimes you see opium because people don't have access to poppy tea. But if we allowed people to have these drugs in their more original and less synthetic, less processed forms, then you would see fewer people using the more processed forms. Um, Something to think about. Because the the stigma that all illegal drug users are subject to can have real-life consequences for them. Um, And even just just staying on the subject of mushrooms, we know how stigma can affect people who use drugs that are uh, more you know, made more dangerous by prohibition, such as opioids. But I was interviewing somebody during my research. She's a a doctor. She's a physician in Toronto. And she told me that when her fellow residents at the hospital that she worked at found out that she had experimented with psilocybin mushrooms, and that was, they only found out about the mushrooms, she's used a lot of other drugs as well. Um, She said, quote, I was shunned, absolutely shunned. So, you know, this is in a, in a professional setting where really you would think that by now, and if you're listening to this podcast, you already probably know uh, at least a bit about the way that psychedelics can be used uh, medicinally and, and helpfully to, you know, actually treat various disorders and mental health issues. But obviously her colleagues didn't know this and they're still working from a really stigmatized paradigm. So to actually shun your fellow doctor because they've experimented with mushrooms, imagine how that they might be treating patients. And I know that a lot of people have, a lot of people who use illegal drugs have very negative experiences with the healthcare, um, I almost said industry, but it's not really an industry in Canada, but you know, with, with healthcare workers and healthcare professionals, because of this stigma. So it really runs very deep in our society and, and very deep in the way that even people who, you you know, the, the doctors that um, had this stigmatized reaction to this, to this one doctor, I can almost guarantee that they all drink alcohol. Um, for sure they all drink coffee. So it's, they're, they're really just judging people who use different drugs than they do, but this has really profound consequences. And, you know, she's a doctor, she'll, she'll be fine. Um, but the kind of stigma that affects people um, in, in less, in, in more precarious situations can be really consequential for, for their ability to keep a job and, um, you know, their, their relationship with their family. Uh, there's, there's tons of ways in which stigma really, really negatively affects people. Um, obviously, it effect, negatively affected this doctor, but um, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Because, yeah, when drug users as a population are conflated with, uh, you know, addiction, drug addicts, um, this, this stigmatized term because addiction is, is so stigmatized. And when, when drug users are just conflated with the idea of being addicted or having problematic use, or being dangerous, or, or, or dirty, or disgusting by those who don't understand the subtleties of drug use, of drug use, and, you know, addictions conflated with marginalized populations that are, that are assumed under this neoliberal logic that runs our society to deserve their fate based on their choices, stigma is really a product of power imbalance. And it's an effective means of justifying and perpetuating inequality. So, yeah, that, uh, you know, 
that's mushrooms. That's the drug of the week. This week's capitalist of the week is... Ellen DeGeneres, who loves to defend hanging out with war criminals who killed a million Iraqis like George Bush. So I want to talk about this documentary that I saw recently called Dosed. I saw it in its Canadian debut in Vancouver at the Vogue Theatre. Um, I remember that it was at the Vogue Theatre because I thought that it was at the Rio Theatre and I showed up and tried them to get to get them to take my ticket and the ticket guy was like, I don't know why your ticket's not working. It's just not scanning. This looks weird. And he had to call a manager and the manager came over and looked at us like we were both idiots and was like, that's not the movie that's playing here right now. And so I had to book it to the SkyTrain to get downtown to see the movie Dosed. Um, anyways, so it's a, it's a really beautifully filmed documentary. Um, and I want to thank my friend Allison, who gave me the ticket, by the way. It's about uh, a very personal story. Um, it focuses on a woman named Adrienne who is experiencing a severe addiction to heroin. She lives in Vancouver and she goes to the downtown east side every day to uh, get the heroin that she needs to basically she's self-medicating for, for some traumas. And, you know, she's suicidal, she's experiencing a lot of severe mental health issues, and she's at the end of her rope, and she decides to try uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Um, she wants to try microdosing at the beginning of the movie, and the producers speak with her, and they, they get this set up for her. And um, I, I won't sort of spoil some of the details of the, this, the interesting way that her story goes, um, but I will say that in the end it it's both psilocybin mushrooms and iboga, which is uh, an African plant um, that's a, a psychedelic that's particularly useful for addiction. Uh, psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and other psychedelics are useful for, for a number of mental health issues, but for addiction in particular, iboga or ibogaine, um, which is derived from iboga, is has been proven to be particularly helpful. And so it's a combination of these that that helps her and she, you know she's now been off of opioids for uh, 18 months since the since they filmed this documentary and to go from a, a severe addiction like that to complete um, you know completely being off of opioids is, is really quite something. So it's it's really it's a really good documentary. It's very well done. Um, it it just focuses on her story, which um, you know I have I have a few sort of critiques of this documentary that I think um, would have there's some things that I think would have made it stronger, such as um, the fact that it doesn't really address enough the fact that her success was also based on a large and strong network of financial and emotional support which many people with substance use issues don't have access to. It doesn't really address drug prohibition enough, like the fact that um, mushrooms are, psilocybin mushrooms are illegal in Canada, so the producers were breaking the law by um, acquiring these mushrooms and giving them to her. Um, you know, it, 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 it matters only in that they're, they're showing through this movie how helpful um, these substances can be, and without kind of explaining the, 
like, you know, putting, putting this in, in context of like, why are we, and, and asking these questions about why is this helpful, um, plant illegal? Um, you know, it is going to be better to, to put these producers in jail for what they've done because technically that's the, what the law says should happen. Um, and it really would have benefited also from a discussion of prohibition and how it impacts, um, Adrian's safety in terms of her opioid use you know they talk about how she's at risk of overdosing at any moment because there could be fentanyl in the heroin that she buys but they don't really contextualize that, that that's because of prohibition that she can't that she doesn't have access to a safe supply because when you prohibit drugs drugs you're not actually getting rid of them you're just choosing to allow the black market to control the supply um that's what we're doing as a society. We're not choosing to get rid of drugs. We're choosing to allow the black market to control drugs, which leads to completely um, unregulated, a uh, completely unregulated supply. So they they don't really talk about how it's prohibition that's putting her in danger more than the substance itself. So they're falling into this a little bit into this trap of, um, you know, the 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 substance, like this sort of reduction to the drug itself being the problem. We like to demonize drugs themselves when drugs are, they're just, you know, they're just chemicals. They, they are what, how we use them and they are what we, what we say about them. So to reduce the problem to heroin and just kind of demonize this drug, which is actually very helpful to many people and honestly um, was clearly helpful to her in that if she didn't have access to heroin for the the period of time that she used it, she may have ended up committing suicide because it was the only thing in her life that was keeping her traumas at bay. Um, that's not to say that it's a solution uh, or that heroin is is a good way to approach problems, but it's just to realistically acknowledge that drug use is medicinal in more circumstances than we kind of give drug use credit for. And when people are self-medicating, um, that can be an incredibly uh, helpful and necessary survival tactic, as, as harmful as it is in other ways. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that the that this documentary could have um, explored some of the some more of the complexities around drug use. However, that being said, I do think that um, the purpose of this documentary was not to be comprehensive. Uh, and and talk about all aspects of it. I think that they could have spent a few minutes on these issues, but it really is just a personal exploration of one person's story, one person's experience with, you know, the use of psychedelics to treat opioid use disorder and uh, depression and suicidality. And to that to that extent, um, it was very successful. It's a it's very compelling. She's a very compelling sort of character. And I think that it's a it's a great introduction to people who want to look at how psychedelics can be useful. I think it, that um, it would be a good documentary for for people who are you know ex sort of have those internalized stigmas against drugs like psychedelics to watch and see that um, oh you know mushrooms aren't this thing that you eat and they make you go crazy. They're a very powerful. Um, powerful medicine so i you know the the audience was packed um it was it was super full in this theater it got you know a standing ovation and it was really great to see this many people there i'm i'm so curious i wish i could know 
how many people in the audience came in there because they already know how useful psychedelics are, they've had positive experiences with psychedelics, and they wanted to, you know, and they were curious to see this documentary that's finally, um, you know, in, in this movement that's finally treating psychedelics um, as, with, as the useful tools that they deserve to be treated as. And how many people were there because they were, you know, skeptical, maybe a friend brought them there or something, or, you know, but that didn't, had, had never really heard about psychedelics being this useful before. Because I personally live in a, in a world that, you know, my, my sort of sphere of influence is very psychedelics positive. You know, I have, um, I, I have family, uh, and, and sort of colleagues and acquaintances that, are less educated about psychedelics, but generally my friends and my community, um, and honestly most of my colleagues too, including my my PhD supervisor and you know other people that work in drug policy and anthropology, they're pretty they're pretty well aware of psychedelics and they're they're pretty um, you know pro pro psychedelics as as far as that goes. So I know that my my view of um, how stigmatized psychedelics still are in among many people is kind of skewed because all I ever hear is people talk about uh talk positively about psychedelics but um I'd be really curious to talk to you know people who don't go into this movie with that same approach and attitude and see if it changes their mind because I think that that's the most important challenge that we're facing I think that the more research and money that we put into psychedelic um, research as, as a, a medicine is good and important and necessary. And I think MAPS does, uh, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they're the ones who are doing most of the official clinical trials. This movie is not about a, an official clinical trial. It's about underground psychedelic use. Um, I think that MAPS, uh, is, as an organization, is doing great work to, to destigmatize. And I think that uh, it's important that people have access to these beautiful, you know, tools, but the the main work in in drug policy that needs to happen right now is kind of getting regular people on board with um, the, a new approach to drug use and educating people about the the importance of drugs like psychedelics, the importance of a safe supply, the importance of safe injection sites and safe consumption sites for drug users. Because we're we're never going to get uh, change as long as people still treat drug users as an expendable population. As long as we're dehumanized and just treated like we don't matter. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's very good. The 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 documentary. I would highly encourage you to see it if it comes to your city. Um, I would also encourage you to to still always when you when you see pro drug or positive news like this have a critical mindset. Um I would say not not so much to be critical of the idea that drugs are useful because they obviously are and it's great to see that in the mainstream now, but just with the idea that we need to approach these things with a with a broader perspective and critically consider Things like, um, you know, race, gender, class, and, and the way that those things interact. You know, this is, she's uh, a white woman who obviously had access to uh, a very strong support network. She lived with her dad. She, you know, um, is, can obviously afford um, her, her heroin habit without living on the street. 
a lot of people don't uh, have access to those same resources. So we need to consider that kind of thing and, and, and at least talk about it when we're talking about, um, you know, the, the benefits of psychedelics. Who, who has access to psychedelics? Who has access to this therapy and who doesn't and why? So there was, a little, there was also a panel afterwards, uh, after the movie. The actual producers were there. Um, the producers of the movie were there. Um, a few other people in, in, well-known for, um, you know, in, in the world of psychedelics were there. Uh, Dennis McKenna, Terrence McKenna's brother, was there. And Adrienne herself, the subject of the documentary, was there. I wasn't able to stay for uh, most of the panel because... Um, I ha had to come home to feed the baby, but um, it was it was pretty interesting, and um, I'll play you a clip, a little clip from one of the producers right now. Yeah, the, the journey has been um, a totally overwhelming one because, um, as everyone's pointed out, Tyler and I didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but we were faced with a very pressing and urgent dilemma, which is that Adrienne was going down to the downtown east side every day and taking fentanyl-laced heroin. She was at risk of overdose at any moment, and uh, she was feeling suicidal, and the, the medical system that we have in place had failed her. There were no options. She tried treatment, as you saw in the film. She tried all those different medications that she listed, and there was just no sort of last There was nowhere for her, for her to turn except for this, and um, we didn't know that we would stumble into and become um, acquainted with this incredible community, this thriving community of people that are risking a lot and, and being very courageous to help others, as you saw in the film. And um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a total blessing, and I still can't watch the end of the movie without feeling like I'm going to just ball because it's been very real and raw for me, and thanks to everybody for making this possible. I do want to just also put in a clip from Adrienne herself from the Q&A because she did actually acknowledge the the social supports that she had around this experience and I think she's worth listening to just to hear you know her own voice and her own words uh, addressing this 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 issue itself um, so here's here's Adrienne Share what this has been like for you and what this is like right now. We're in the Vogue on Granville Street with 1,200 people for probably the biggest documentary premiere in Canadian history. to have all these people in my life and um, you know people congratulate me and 
and say thank you and like you're so brave and um, all these things, but really like I couldn't have done any of this without the community that I, I have um, around me up here and out there. And um, you know, we can't do this alone and we don't have to do this alone. And um, I really hope that this message reaches more people um, because addiction is a really lonely place and we just don't have um, a system that's set up to support people. And uh, you know, I'm, I've seen so many people struggling like I did and um, we need a community psychedelics and you know what a, a couple of people mentioned um, that um, we need to change the whole system and uh, we need to support people going through this yeah, so I don't know what I'm saying. This is so overwhelming and surreal, and I'm just really glad to be here. And um, yeah, thank you. So yeah, it's worth seeing. Go see it if it comes to your city. Uh, the website is dosedmovie.com. And the one thing I'll also just say is that during the panel, they brought um, Jesse Brown, a candidate for the Green Party, on stage. And Jesse Brown of the Green Party straight up lied to the audience because he said that the Green Party, the only people with uh, full drug decriminalization in their platform, and he got a big round of applause from the audience from that. And it's a fucking lie. The NDP have decrim in their platform and have for a while now. And that was part of Jagmeet's, um, sorry, Jagmeet's uh, campaigning from the start when he was campaigning to be party leader. He um, came out in support of drug decriminalization. So way to just straight up lie, Jesse Brown from the Green Party. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, things in the Green Party platform that I support, but there's a lot of stuff about the way that that party works that... Um, I do not support, and this kind of thing is one of them. Um, the, yeah, I'm not going to go too farther, too far into that, but, uh, the NDP, um, have decrim and a lot of the, the ways in which the Green Party are kind of trying to present themselves as progressive and, you know, as, as the party of, of progressive values. Um, it's actually just stuff that the NDP has been saying for a while. Not that um, the NDP is better than the Greens in every way, but yeah, um, drug policy-wise, that's not true. So I think that's it for Bread and Poppies this week. I would have a lot more to say about uh, the election um, and also about the fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar just um, endorsed Bernie Sanders for president. But I actually kind of covered all of that um, in a guest spot on my friend Rob Rousseau's podcast, 49th Parahel. So I don't really want to kind of repeat myself and go over everything again. I think that listening to Rob and I talk about it is more interesting than listening to me just talk about it on my own. And, you know, I want to try to keep this podcast not um, overly long so that people feel like it's, you know, a reasonable amount of time to, to listen to, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Um, at least until I move to Toronto and find my new co-host, wherever they may be. Um, and unless I have uh, interviews as well, which I'm hoping to line up pretty soon. I know that um, 
hopefully, um, Brian from uh, Street Fight Radio, uh, we're going to organize an interview at some point and we're going to chat about drugs. So stay tuned for that. But um, otherwise, go check out 49th Parahel with Rob Rousseau, his latest episode, um, uh, Optimus Anonymous. Uh, him and I talk about both the Canadian and the American election. And I think it was a really good, fun conversation. So, and it's also just a great podcast, so check that out. So that's it for Bread and Poppies this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm I'm super into hearing feedback at this stage, you know. Uh, do you want to hear me talk for a full hour? Because I can do that. Like, I can definitely, I have lots of stuff that I can talk about. So if you'd like longer episodes, then that's, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But um, if, you know, 30, 40 minutes is is good, then I'm, I'm happy to stay there too. Um, and I want to say a big thank you to everybody who sent me supportive feedback. Um, it means a lot to me and it helps to motivate me to keep doing this. You know, um, this is just one project of a few I'm hoping to to figure out eventually just to educate people about um, the way that capitalism and the war on drugs go hand in hand. Um, yeah, so thank you to the people who have, have sent me messages of support. I really appreciate that. I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Hillary Agro, and that's Hillary with one L because I'm the good Hillary and I spell it correctly. Uh, the Patreon is to support my research and my work as well as fundraise for an educational video project I'd eventually like to start. So go check that out if you would like to support me. And um, yeah, I also have a request this week. Um, I'm starting to put together my research proposal for my actual dissertation, uh, PhD work. So basically, if you or someone you know has participated in underground psychedelic therapy in Ontario or Quebec, uh, I would love to hear from you. So uh, basically, for my master's research, I studied the beneficial aspects of drug use at raves and festivals. And my current project, I'm looking at the ways in which people who use drugs resist prohibition. So I'd really like to look at underground psychedelic therapy, which is why I went to this documentary, Dosed, um, as a form of resistance and connection. So I'm trying to get a feel for how viable that might be. I know, I know some people who are doing underground psychedelic therapy in Toronto. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm always willing to hear from more people and I'm kind of trying to figure out whether or not this is an avenue that people would be willing to talk about, talk to me, um, for my research. I, um, yeah, just sort of a, uh, a yes or no, whether or not you might be interested in, in helping me with my research on that. It's it's totally anonymous and I won't be um, doing interviews and ethnographic field work for a few months still, but I'm just trying to see if it's viable. So if that's something that you have experience with and, and you're willing to share your experiences with me, just, um, you know, shoot me a DM and let me know or email me at hillaryagro at gmail.com. You can also send me your phone number so that we can communicate on signal. We can use disappearing messages so that everything is, uh, so that there's no sort of like evidence for anything if you, if you feel more comfortable um, speaking that way. So right now I'm just looking to get a sense of whether or not that this is something that's possible to explore to see if doing more in-depth interviews with people uh, in the coming year is possible. And also, uh, you know, how careful and anonymous people might need to be as I approach this. Because it's interesting from my previous research, some people really didn't care. They'll just message me about drugs on on Twitter or 
um, on Facebook Messenger or whatever, and they're just, they're fine, they're established, and, and, you know, often white, middle class, male, like, they, they just, they're not that worried about potential consequences, but some people are, and I think it's, it's good to be careful when you're talking about, um, illegal activities, even if those activities should not be illegal, um, yeah, they're, they're still real dangerous to consider, so I'm trying to figure out how to go about, um, approaching people and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you for my research and interview you and, and hang out with you as you do, um, and as you potentially do psychedelic therapy, but, um, doing that in a way that doesn't make me sound like a total narc. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just kind of working that out. So yeah, um, as an ethnographer, I love hearing people's experiences with drugs, both positive and negative, um, in general. So if you'd ever like to share your experiences with me, feel free to send me a message. And, um, yeah, I'm also thinking about starting to collect, uh, recordings of people's stories. I have one, one person who I'm hopefully going to be able to, um, share his personal story with, um, uh, opioids and, uh, methadone use. Um, so if you have a story that you'd like to share in, you know, a sort of 10 to 15 minute recording, I'm hoping to include those in future episodes because I think it would, it would be interesting. Um, I personally, that's why I do this research. I love hearing people tell their experiences with drugs because it goes so outside the mainstream narratives that we hear about drugs. Um, and I think it would make for really interesting listening on here as well. So let me know if that's something that interests you to share your experience. It can just be anonymous and just your voice talking, or you can send me um, a story that I can read out loud. Uh, yeah, so that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you're having a wonderful week. I hope that if you get high this week, that it's a great high and you have so much fun and you hang out with your friends or you hang out alone and you listen to music and that it's a relaxing, wonderful experience. And if you... Uh, are struggling with drugs. I hope that this week is a good week for you. I hope that the drugs give you what you need, but that you, you know, feel like you, um, feel like you made some progress in whatever your goals are for, for drug use this week. I know that my podcast is going to be generally very pro drugs and that's not to say that, um, drugs can't be problematic for some people. Um, and I, I want to validate all forms of drug use. Um, yeah, and so I hope that your experiences with drugs this week are good. Uh, your experiences with capitalism this week are for sure going to be bad because it's shit garbage and it's crushing all of us from the inside and out. But um, I hope that your experiences building solidarity with people are good this week because um, I say week, but I haven't actually posted an episode for a few weeks and I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be in the next little while. But anyways, um, build solidarity with people, spend time with your family, spend time with your friends, enjoy these little times of respite between the grinding daily reality that is our racist, heteropatriarchal capitalist world. Because if we don't enjoy these little moments, then the capitalists win. So have fun you know, experience, experience positivity and joy wherever you can get it, because that in itself, under a system that is so built to bring us down, is a form of resistance. I love you all. See you next time.